UK. Broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mike Drop Club. Hosted by Douglas Hamandiche. Message received. Message received. You do not need to know what you need. What you need. Just engage with the podcast feed. Just engage with the podcast feed. Providing weekly insights into cool stuff we've read, saw, did, or heard about what made us say, wow, eureka, damn, nothing is off limits. If it motivates and inspires you to reach your goals, then it shall be discussed. Featuring guest interviews from high performers and people of influence and weekly awards for the best mic drop moment. This podcast is guaranteed to leave you pumped up for the week ahead. Don't just live life, make life boom. How are you guys doing out there? Welcome to another episode of the Mic Drop Club. And today I'm super excited. I'm going to have a conversation with Oliver Newack, a guy who I recently got to um, engage in some real deep conversation in regards to digital transformation. This is a, a young person who is coming into the game with a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy, a lot of drive as well. So what he does is he's got a very interesting title in the sense that he's an account development representative, and he's going to share with us some of his challenges, not only in explaining what that job title means, but also in terms of how he has walked the walk in digital transformation and how he finds value and instills value in the clients that he works closely um, closely with. Um, he works for CrossFuse, who sell digital um, transformational pieces. And he's the author of a daily blog called The Digital Iceberg, and which is fantastic. He's both posting these blog pieces on a daily basis. His last one being a tale of the tapes between cloud-based technology versus on-prem hosting. And I know a lot of you out there will be very fascinated with this or are struggling to come to terms and reconcile the differences between hosting your solution in the cloud or whether or not you should um, stick with on-prem hosting. So Oli, as he likes to be called amongst his friends, I think we are amongst friends now. Um, We'll break that down. Fantastic. We'll break that down in this conversation. So first and foremost, Oli, thanks a lot for uh, guesting again for the uh, Mic Drop Club. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, Douglas. No, the pleasure's all mine. The pleasure's all mine. And as I was saying in the introduction, you, you come to the game, digital transformation in and around the health space, particularly with a lot of energy, you know, fresh yes. out university, eyes wide open, not tainted by traditional ways of thinking, behaving. Yeah. You're, you're coming with this completely dynamic approach, which I find really, really refreshing to all too often. I'm having conversations that are very circular in around people that I've known for many years around transformation. And in the end, we end up talking about change. And we had a conversation a couple of weeks back trying to differentiate and or articulate very clearly the differences in what we call transformation and actual change. And uh, yes, you, you you were able to hold your own and add a lot of wisdom <laughs> to that debate. So, so thank you. So your week's been good thus far. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been really good so far. Um, we're in the midst of the holiday time. 
Um, so, so things have been a, a little bit slow the last few weeks. Um, but that's given me, you know, a little bit more breathing room to, to really focus, um, on my blog as well. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned, um, got release week this week, um, got a daily feature, um, on LinkedIn, on my LinkedIn page of my blog articles, um, just to really start to, to hammer home some awareness for that, uh, and really, um, start getting it out there. No, look, that's brilliant. That's brilliant because not only are you working within the field, you're actually giving back. And as a content creator myself, I salute anybody that is able to commit um, thoughts to to pen, thoughts to a podcast, thoughts across a YouTube video, whatever the case would be, and really put yourself on the line to share your views and experiences. And I think we need a lot more of that. This is what drives LinkedIn. It's what drives the social movement. So for me, it was terrifying when I first pressed record and, you know, got my voice out there thinking, oh, oh God, I wonder what yeah. people will, will take. What was your experience like? Well, that, that's kind of how this all started for me, really. Um, so I was, I was sat there, um, I'm eight months into the, into the job. Um, yeah. It was middle of lockdown. Things were slow. And I was just thinking, you know, I, I really want to, I'm passionate about this. I enjoy yes. this uh, and I want to get really, I really want to get into it. And I thought, what's the best way of structuring my education? Um, so I started making notes and I thought, why, why keep those notes to myself? Um, why not make those public, share them with other people? Um, very often a, a big buzzword used in this, in this industry is a digital transformation journey. And, yes. and what is, what is my transformation journey? Uh, and that's what this, this blog is all about. It's, it's a, a step-by-step account of my education and my development uh, in this, in this industry as, as we go forwards. Excellent. And I, I, I want to give you one of these things that we do on the mic drop club, and I'm going to do it very, very early in the show. Normally people get a mic drop halfway through or three quarters way through, but you're <laughs> going to get one straight off the bat. The reason being is you are a thought creator. You're, you're in that creative space and you manage to get over your fears and present to the world your views, which are fantastic. So Oli, this is for you, an atomic mic drop. Okay, guys, everybody ready? Atomic mic drop. That's all for you, Oli. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, 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 well done for that. It's a very, very important. And we do encourage anybody out there that is sitting on their fence, you know, we're still in this pandemic, whether you're thinking about wave one, wave two, whatever the case may be, time to be creative, reach out, express yourself, this steady stream of consciousness that we sometimes write in our diaries, who knows where it would take you, put it down yeah. and share it with the world. So Oli, once again, thank you for doing that. So in terms of your role, account development representative, yeah. How would you describe yeah. that? What does that actually mean? Okay. So um, if, if you think of a sales process, um, we start with initial engagement. Um, then that engagement leads to conversations. Those conversations um, result in talking about requirements, challenges. Um, then those requirements and challenges are then compared against what the product has to offer. Mm -hmm. 
whether they whether they align or not, what features of the platform, if it if it's licensed in different ways, um, particularly apply therefore to those requirements and challenges, and then we move forward uh, on a cost basis. Um, on an implementation basis in the in this digital um, platform sphere, and then we we start to talk about um, you know how long it's going to take to implement, um, what features are going to be implemented, how they're going to be implemented, and really start hammering through that in detail. So my my role is is that very very first step. So I'm I'm the one who's approaching businesses. So I research businesses based on. Um, that you know what what people they have in IT customer service um, any element of the business that could benefit from from being digitally transformed Brilliant. and then I look at, at the, their maturity based on um, what the job roles by, might be do they have service managers do they have um, executives um, technology executives chief technology officer chief information officer and then really start looking at in detail at um, the industry itself, the company itself, and the people themselves, and really start creating messaging um, via email as my first point of contact, and then going forwards, um, leading on into into some phone conversations as well, um, to try and get that initial engagement and try and start to discuss what those requirements and challenges might be that that these companies and individuals may have. Brilliant. And I I would say that Sounds very complicated and challenging in the sense that you're potentially cold calling in the first instant. Yes. You're the first point of contact. And if I go back to the early days where I was um <laughs> I was in sales a long to long, long time ago, um direct sales over, making that first contact was the scariest thing ever. What was it like for you? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm naturally quite a, I wouldn't say shy, but I was in the past when I was, when I was much younger. And so I, I'm not, I'm not a, a presence in the room, shall we say verbally. Um, that's not my, my absolute strength. Um, I like to think about what I say. Um, and I like to, to really make sure that what I say is valuable. And so at first, um, you know, I'm, I'm still very new to this and, and not particularly well educated, um, around what all these different platforms and, and features and what these companies requirements are. So at first it was, it was, it was, it was gen- genuinely terrifying. <laughs> it was yeah. you're having a conversation with someone who has never spoken to you before, never heard of my name before, has no reason to, to respect me or what I have to say. And it's about creating, instantly creating a, a relationship with them and creating and using that relationship to then find out the information that I need. Yeah. So I actually found um, over, over time, um, it's one of those where, yes, it's often said, but the, the best way to overcome it is to just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep building it up. Yeah. Um, and often if, if you make a mistake, um, first thing to do is is to just get back out there, throw yourself back in it and replace that negative experience with a positive one. Brilliant advice. Brilliant advice. Because again, there's, there are lots of booby traps when you're approaching this whole process. And you did talk about the research that you go into. 
And from my yeah. experience, and you can share share with me your own, I'm keen to find out how much research do you actually go into before you actually make a commit to a telephone call? How, how much work would you do in terms of that research element? How deep down the rabbit hole would you go? So this is, this is the, the biggest sales question there is really, because every moment, Every second you're researching, you're not reaching out. Every second you're not reaching out, you're potentially missing out on opportunities that you could be creating for yourself and for the business. Yeah. And so that's the balance. It's a trade-off with the more research you do, the more powerful, the more accurate your, your reach outs are going to be. But the more you spend re- you, you spend researching, the less you're spending reaching out. And as a result... Um, you know, that's, that's the compromise. Um, so I I like to, to split my day half and half. I would say if I had to be, if I had to put a number on it, it's half the day I'm doing account-based research and, and lead research to find, find new contacts, new accounts. And also thrown in there is industry specific, messaging, uh, personal messaging based on what's on their LinkedIn page, so on and so forth. And then the other half of the day, I'm sending out emails and making calls. That's, that's how I like to split my time because I think those two things, um, complement each other. So therefore deserve equal weight in my time. Sure. Sure. And, and I guess the, 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 the work that you do setting up, that that initial call gives you a bit more confidence. You kind of like know the the mindset, the philosophy behind the business that you're trying to engage with before. And that yeah. can be a bit more reassuring than calling somebody without doing that um, um, due diligence and understanding what are their pain points? Who are the people that work in the organisation? You know, um, you could get a lot more information out of LinkedIn and all these other um um tools out there to build that picture than just going to google yeah yeah so so linkedin is is probably the best tool it's a brilliant tool um people you can you can easily gauge a person um based on how much information do they give if if a if a person has a very very pragmatic linkedin page as in their job title their name maybe if you're lucky a brief description of their job role you know from that subconsciously if not consciously that this person is not going to be the sort of person that's going to engage in a in a or be particularly conversational they're going to be as pragmatic as their linkedin profile they're going to be um in this case um we we sell the service now platform it'll be a case of have you heard of service now you'll get a yes or no answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that's very hard to work with. Um, on the other hand, you've got the flip side, which is if you've got someone who's got a very, very detailed description of their job role, um, not only is that information that you can then use when you speak to the person, um, or, or the least you should know. Um, but again, you gives you an idea of how conversational they are. They're going to be. Yes. But, um, just little tips and tricks that I use is, is annual reports. If you, annual reports can be 200 pages long. There's a load of financial information, which um, a lot of people might, might find very interesting, but I don't. <laughs> and it's not relevant <laughs> to, what, to what I'm trying to do. Um, so that's 
all, all I have to do there is um, I, I, I use the find toolbar and basically send uh, and search through the document, the words digital yes, um, and technology. And more often than not, that will, that will guide me straight to the information that I need um, to, to, fo- to, to find that one line um, that I can, that crucial line that I can use an email or that crucial line that I can use to open a call. That control F. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, a, gr- a great tip. And this is obviously coming from your university days. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Going yeah, straight to research. Yeah. And also what I found was when you go to look at these annual reports or even structured reports, um, quarterly reports, if you find organizations is not regular in publishing their reports, it can kind of give you a sense of where they are digitally, you know, or yeah. how or how important do they rate digital um digitize digital tools and um, having that digital presence. Cause sometimes when they're a bit laxidatal on that, that does follow through in how the conversation will go um, with the company. So it's, it's rather interesting. You can gain a lot and also see movement movers and shakers. I tend to look at the delegate list who, who was intent, who was invited to the meeting, <laughs> who attended <Yeah. laughs> and who didn't attend. You know, that's, that's, that's my quick tip. Look at who doesn't attend these meetings in annual reports. You know, it's very, <laughs> hopefully it's not somebody that you're trying to get in, um, have a conversation with, hopefully. Yeah. So yeah, how, how did you get into this role in the first place? What was your journey like? Yeah. Um, so uh, that's, that's interesting. It's an interesting question. And, and to be honest, the answer is, is quite simple. Um, I kind of just fell into this. Um, there's a lot more going on in the background probably than I, I give credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, when I, when I first, you know, fresh out of university, first started looking for a job and it's my first job. And in my head, I had two crucial points. I wanted to work with people and I, I wanted to work on a you know, technological business basis in terms of how can we improve, um, where we are today, tomorrow. And, um, so I've always seen myself as a consultant, um, Mm -hmm. still right now to this day, my dream job is a case of being able, you know, a digital transformation expert who can give advice, um, strategic advice to a company in terms of how they can improve, become more efficient, more productive, um, get more out of what they have at the very least, if not invest in new areas and identify areas of, of real benefit to that company. Wow. But like in any career, you've got to start somewhere and you can't, you can't become an expert overnight. Um, sure. And that's obviously where the blog fits in quite nicely. And, and, and sorry for sorry interrupting you, the, whole, the fact that you're doing a blog, do you find that reinforces and gives you confidence in what you actually know? when you commit it to absolutely. the blog? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, there's a difference between reading something and reading something and taking it into your, you know, processing it through your brain, reconfiguring it and writing it down in your own words. Yeah. There's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big difference. Um, it makes a massive difference for me. My learning curve since I started doing the blog has, has risen exponentially purely because I feel every article I read 
I really, I see it through different eyes now. I take it in more. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, that's, that's an interesting sentence or that's an interesting topic. How, how can I create something out of that? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's really helped, you know, my journey to become that expert. Massive. It is, it is completely massive. I totally agree with you. People tend, people who don't do this stuff, don't do blogs, don't do videos, don't write they're missing out on a massive trick here because as you quite rightfully articulated, for you to write a blog piece, that's coming from the back of maybe four or five different pieces of literature that you're reading on top of your own thoughts based upon your experiences. Then you've got to try and break that down, consolidate it, crystallize it in a way that makes sense as a blog. So you're, you're yeah. five, five times, you know, 10x in each experience. So you are growing exponentially. And um, again, when you people think of um, a video, YouTube video, of of uh, teaching video, and and it might last five ten minutes, it doesn't mean the original cut was five ten minutes. The original cut could have been an hour long, <laughs> full of content. But the fact that that the person has to break down that video to make it fit a particular theme, the person producing that material is learning, is growing developing new skills. So these skills that you are demonstrating, Oli, are really putting you in, in the right position when it comes to being a thought leader in digital transformation. Because again, essentially, what we're looking for is different views because transformation isn't um, a one vantage point um, entity. It's multidimensional. One person might mm. see transformation, the other person might view that as a complete blocker and being able to have that holistic, circular view, centric type view on everything will allow you to add real value in this space. So no, we, we salute you on that. <laughs> we salute you on that. So um, in the field of digital transformation, which we know is huge, we've, have, we've had a conversation about this before, okay? Is there any particular sector that you find most interesting? Um, yes. Um, so one of my articles that I, I wrote about recently, um, it was, it was a McKinsey article on, on digital factories. Um, and McKinsey, um, spoke about it as, as an incubator of agility. Yeah. Um, and then this is something that I, I then, then wrote about extensively and, and then made a, made a blog post about it. And it was, it's the way you can have a, have a little sidecar business to the main organization. You can take a small team and you give them the autonomy. Um, you give them a target and you give them uh, all the autonomy they need to fulfill that goal. Um, and they have all the resources that they need and the time they need. And it's about how can we, create what we need to create as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And it's about for large businesses, it's about taking themselves out of the red tape, out of the the bureaucracy you get within a large organization, the, the long approval processes for a certain budget Mm. or, or anything like that. And it's like I said, sidecar business, how can we create something uh, as quickly and as, as efficiently as possible? Here's, here's a goal. The rest, it's up to you how you do it. 
and and that seems to be you know it's a, it's a new philosophy and it seems to be working really quite well it's still very much in the theoretical stages um i'm not entirely sure how successfully um what evidence there is in terms of how successfully um organizations have used this so far but um i found that to be be really really interesting and i do genuinely see that as as the way forwards um and that ties in quite nicely with with organizational change management as well it's how can you you take the the individual frustrations um out of out of the organization and just make decisions pure and simple on what's best for the business what drives it forward and then and then get the people to to ad- adopt that technology um just because they can see and and feel those tangible rewards um from adopting it and i think all of that package together is is really really interesting it is and you do paint a very um positive picture using that example because i guess within technology companies the ability to move very agile agile being another buzzword but when you work for some of these big companies you're restricted from working an agile way you can tend to feel that you cannot fail and when you are when you do not have positive risk taking in an organization, you can literally move like a cruise liner to your own demise, literally crash on the rocks. You need some part of your business to be thinking and having the autonomy to act, to be brave in their decision making, to have authority without, as you said, um, getting signed off for every, every single thing that you do. So they can sometimes pivot a whole business and put them in the right direction. It takes um, a smaller boat to push a cruise liner, like a typical little tugboat can push a big, big cruise liner out of danger. Yeah. And that's what, that's what these incubators, these smaller units you can set up using that philosophy can bring your organization. Definitely. I'm going to have to reword my, uh, my article now <laughs> to include that analogy. Yeah, yeah. That, that's where I see it because literally you, you see that in big, or you look at the demise of the high street. You can see it. Big, big corporation, big, big um, companies fall into the wayside. And if you were to really reflect or in, investigate, there were people within the organization screaming, fire, fire, screaming, um, or never feeling brave enough to articulate a change of view. Maybe because they felt afraid of voicing their opinion because if, what if they get it wrong? But you can see fashion houses um, presenting, you can see the mannequins presenting fashion outfits in the front window that nobody buys. Mm. Surely there was somebody in that organization that kind of like knew this is wrong. You, you can yeah. see it with other organizations as well. So this whole ability to enable people to have that confidence to um, fail quickly. If, if, if failure is uh, the right word, because I just say you learn from experience, but to try out things with authority, accountability and responsibility for that, for budget, you'll find a lot of great technology is um, brought about in that way. Um, yeah. yeah, so the skills, <laughs> I think you're ready to cover this, the skills that you need to have and I'm going, to, I'm going to say one of them, yeah, to be an account development representative, to be able to hit the, hit the ground running, make that cold call based upon research, um, 
I want to say resilience, being able to deal with a negative response. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that was, that was a, a fundamental factor for me. So, so I'm, you know, I, I have an amazing family, a very supportive family. Um, I, I've had a, you know, a very sheltered and successful upbringing so far. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not used to, I'm not used to rejection. I'm not used to, to, to failing in that sense. Um, and that was, that was a big factor mm. for me. Um, it, and I think it is for most people. It's, it's, it should be water off a duck's back, but unfortunately it's not as simple as that. And those, those first few um, rejections are, are really quite tough. And, and that's what I, I mean by, by what I said earlier. Um, you know, it's about, you know, jumping straight back in, replacing that negative outcome with a positive one. Yeah. And, and just sort of like retraining your brain to, to focus on the positives rather than the negatives, because it is very easy to get lost um, in the negatives. You might have 10 amazing calls and one terrible one, but it's, it's the one terrible one that seems to linger in your mind more than the positive ones. Um, so it's about, you know, consciously remembering those positive experiences as well. And I think that's where, um, you know, it's, it's resilience and it's discipline. It's, it's disciplining yourself, um, to, to think about those positive experiences, to remember that you're, you're not going to succeed with every call, with every email. Um, because, you know, I wish, I wish that were, it were as easy as that, but I think I would also like it less if it was easy as that. So um, that's, that's a key factor to remember for me. And that, that's a brilliant point. Discipline. Uh, that's something I've learned from you today. Discipline. Um, resilience and discipline. Because discipline comes out of repetition. Yeah. Being able to do something over and over again. Right. Despite how you feel. Yeah. Be disciplined. So when you're going through the numbers and you know, you got probably more rejection than you do have positive outcomes in terms of hot leads. Having that discipline to know that, okay, just make the next call. Because sometimes we can overthink things and start to personalize a negative response because we are, we are assuming that negative response is saying something about us, our nature. When it's not, it's just somebody on the other line just have, they might have a bad day, but we can kind of like take it to heart and definitely discipline something I just to share with you on this, on this um, podcast, I learned that from my younger sister, who's a performing artist. So she was, um, she used to go super young. So I used to take her to um, drama auditions when I was younger and she used to get upset all the time when she didn't get positions, didn't get um, casted for certain roles. But she had the discipline. She knew she just had to go. She would buy the stage magazine and go, next one. And she, she, she used to always say, in this profession, you're just waiting for the one yes. So the, the more notes you have is moving you closer to your one yes. Because literally in the performing arts, that one yes could transform your career. You know, so it might be a thousand no. So she's quick to get another no. So she'd be excited to get another no because it moves her closer to a yes. That's the way she was kind of like internalizing that. But she had what you said, the discipline, which helped her manage 
and become more resilient to any feedback she got that was perceived um, negatively. You know, so no, that's yeah. the, that's a, that's a very good quality. So you spoke about your family, and I think this is the right time to ask you. Okay, um, what makes your heart sing? What is it about? What do you like doing that requires no motivation at all? That enables you to do what you're doing today? Yeah. So for me, it's it's strategy. Um, if you, if you think about, or if I think about, um, all the things in my life that I've been truly passionate about, Mm -hmm. it's fundamentally been down to, um, the strat, the strategic element of it for me and the technical element. Um, so my, my favorite sport is, is tennis. And if you ask anyone that's, that's close to me, friends or family, um, I, I'm a little bit upset. Um, I'm, I'm ha- I'll happily say that myself. They would say, I'm a little bit obsessed. They would say, I'm very obsessed. Okay, cool. But it's, it's the, it's the mental as well as the physical side of, of the sport of tennis, which really, um, really attracts me to it. It's, it's a case of you have to outthink and outpower an opponent more often than not. You can't just simply outpower them. It's, it's how, how do you hit a ball? And then the technical aspect comes in. How do you hit a ball in a certain way, mm. um, to, to get it to where you want to get it? Do you, do you hit a, a short cross court forehand to get them off the court? Um, do you hit a, you know, a powerful stroke, uh, flat stroke right down the middle? Um, it's about figuring out the person across the net from you and what makes them tick and in the world of digital transformations, it's used positively. In the world of tennis, it's <laughs> I'm going to use this to defeat you. Wow! And, and that's and that's uh, <laughs> and that's what that's what I love about it. And it really gets uh, my competitive juices going as well because um, I'm I'm very very competitive as well. Excellent. And that that certainly is your outlet because you will need an outlet when you either have a good day, positive. You need something to. Um, refresh the mind and tennis is, is, is one that as you quite rightfully articulated has all of those qualities I didn't realise this until a couple of weeks back where I had tennis lessons and I would, not only was, was I being sent left right and centre I my background was one where I enjoyed playing table tennis even on the wards with the patients yeah. table tennis ping pong so I thought naturally I can play tennis right because I kind of like, yeah no no, epic fail, <laughs> epic fail. But what you're saying is is so true. You, you not only are you being sent left, right, and centre is how you win, and through that sport, you also learnt um, compassion. And I never realised it until I started playing it. I was told this story many, many, many years, um, years ago about compassion. I said, "Watch tennis plays, you see compassion." I said, "Well, whatever, whatever, whatever." So, <laughs> but it. You just you you confirm with you just confirm with this is your understanding. If you play a game of tennis, right, and you win or lose, yeah. Say for example, you win, and the tradition is you walk towards the net, correct? Yeah, yeah. And as you walk into the point opponent that you have now defeated, Ollie, 
Yeah, right. Yeah. So your racket is somewhere in the stand somewhere because you threw your racket in, <laughs> in in some sort of celebration, right? But as you walk into your opponent that you've just crushed, yeah, are you still euphoric in your presentation as you walk towards your opponent? Absolutely not. You're not, are you? What are you doing? No. You shake hands and being respectful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're respectful. Some would say you're even compassionate because you'll kind of understand the way the other person's coming from. You would have yeah. known what defeat feels like. Okay, so yeah, you're respectful. That means you're not going to be moonwalking or dancing your way to the to the um <laughs> to the net to shake hands, you know? Um, and this is what transformation for me is literally all about. Because there are winners and there's some losers. Is to be able to manage that state. Because you need to drive yes your transformation through, but also recognizing the feelings, the fears, the anxieties that transformation will have on a humanistic level to mm. the people that are going to be receiving the recipients of that change or the transformation in process. And how we manage that, we really set, 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 sets the bar between um, poor organizations that digital transformation and the ones that really excel and they get involved in some big, large scale transformation, their ability to bring the whole service, the whole team, the whole organization along the digital transformation journey. So keep up with the tennis, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to tell me twice to do that. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, on that point, I, I, I a hundred percent agree. Um, and that's, and you know, if you had to, pinpoint one thing that excites me the most about digital transformations it's that it's the fact that you've always got to remember that there's there's a person on the other end of it it's it doesn't matter if you come up with the most technologically sound solution in the world mm -hmm. if if your people aren't using it it's not it's not going to transform anything it's just going to sit there and sit there idle um, and that's what I was, was going on about earlier with, um, with, with organizational change management, um, and, and, you know, bringing it back to tennis, that's, that's what I learned, um, coaching tennis. Um, I mean, you've, you've, you've never been patient until you've, uh, until you've tried teaching a five-year-old how to play tennis, for certain. um, watching them, watching them swing and miss the ball completely over and over again. And you just, you just smile and say, good job. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Patience. And that's, um, and that for me is, is kind of perfectly summarizes it. Excellent. Patience. So with buzzwords to, for today, resilience, discipline, patience, you know, excellent, excellent. So in terms of the role you're doing, what are the most challenging aspects of it and why the most challenging things to you? Um, so the most challenging period, so far, I mean, we, we've touched on the main one and that about that resilience. Yes. Um, but a big factor for me was, was, you know, a couple months ago, we were in the midst of the pandemic. Um, I mean, we still are, um, in certain ways, but in the, in the full, full lockdown period. And, you know, I was, you know, four or five months into the job, suddenly working from home, used to a very sociable office. Um, and at that point we, we stopped all calling. It was, it was absolutely insensitive, um, to, to try and sell anything over the phone during that period. And 
and it was day after day, email after email after email, and mm. and just no responses. And so what I learned was actually, and what drives me still today is for me, no response is a lot worse than a negative response because a negative response, as you touched on earlier, at least you can move on, you know, where you stand, you move on, you stop wasting mm. your time. Um, you can make a note of it and you, you can, you know, where relevant, get back to that person in the future and speak to them when it's a better time to talk about it. Yeah. But no response mm. after no response. And it was, it was a case of, I had no idea whether what I was sending was right. Um, you know, on the off chance that I did have a call, what I was saying on the, on, on the phone was right. And that, and that was really tough. And that remains my biggest challenge. Um, and that's, I've turned that into a positive thing. Now it's, it's, I don't, I don't know what the right thing to say is and the, and the word that's really going to hook someone. Mm. So it's a case of constantly trying new things. Yeah. Um, you know, something that works with someone yesterday might not work with someone today. Something that doesn't work with someone today might work with someone tomorrow. So it's a case of constantly trying new things, trying new ways, putting yourselves yourself into the shoes of a chief executive or anything like that to, to really try and understand if you were in their position, what, you go. what would, what would really hit home with you? Ollie, you're getting greedy. Okay guys, everybody ready? Atomic mic drop. You're getting greedy, Ollie. You're getting greedy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hit the, hit the nail right on his head, you know, being humble and trying different things and not, don't be afraid to get it wrong because in the, in engaging, you're constantly looking for what it is that connects me to you. And if yeah. you research the, in the way you do, Ollie, which I'm sure you do, you wouldn't have said it if you didn't. Um, you're finding those touch points. You're constantly looking, what are the touch points? What things, oh, this guy said he does, for example, tennis on his LinkedIn profile. Okay, there's my hook. You're constantly looking for hooks, something that will connect you to another person. And once you've got that connection, then you can engage in a trusting relationship. Yep. Without that connection, you don't engage. And you being honest and frank about that experience being a challenge and how you're turning it around, I would say is one of the most important lessons for any person in sales or any person that's looking to engage as a human being on any level. You constantly yeah. got to find ways to engage and hook somebody with your message. If it's a brand in this situation, it's your message hooking people. If it's human to human, what is the connecting piece? Because we all have differences, but there are more things that unite us than divide us as a people. But we have to sometimes do some more searching and hanging in there in a conversation until somebody says, ah, that buzzword or that thing that connects. Hanging in there, <laughs> I would say, because sometimes it's difficult, it's rough, and it can be brutal to you emotionally when you're not, when you might feel you're not getting acknowledgement because when you talked about not getting feedback um, when you stopped the cold calling and the lack of feedback was a challenge for you, yeah? Yeah. 
It's because when you don't get feedback, you don't have acknowledgement. Yeah, mm. there's no acknowledgement. And any person that's in a relationship with anyone, if you go come home from work and you fail to acknowledge your partner, they'll soon let you know there's a problem. Am <laughs> 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 I right in that one? Yeah. We need to be acknowledged, yeah. right? So when you're putting out messages and all these things and there's nothing coming back to you, as you rightfully said, you might feel like a piece of driftwood, but nothing to, to gauge how well you are doing. But if you stay in the game for your discipline, yeah, staying resilient, mm. as you quite rightly said earlier, you end up, and also being open and humble to put yourself in the other person's shoes you eventually start getting connections, reconnecting with people. So I, I just want to salute you on that one. Again, you're <laughs> dropping bombs, Oli. You're dropping bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think just to, to, to maybe close the office, it's also um, about being authentic, um, finding out what, I mean, this is something we discussed um, previously as well, yeah. is, is what, what is your brand? And, and that's, and that's the trick is, and that's why there's no sales book out there that tells you how to succeed because succeeding in sales is about building relationships and building relationships fundamentally is based on being authentic, hmm. um, being open to the point that the person on the other line, on the other side of the phone, on the other end of the email to you can really, you know, feel your presence and they know who they're talking to. Um, and that, and that I think is, is, is critical because, you know, as a salesperson, you're speaking to someone on the phone, you have, you know, based on the stereotype that salespeople have within, within society, you have about two seconds, um, to build that relationship. And, and if you don't, it, it more often than not, they will put you into that, um, you know, used used car salesman box and you will almost never get out of that. Um, so yeah, authenticity is, is, is huge in my book. Excellent. Excellent point. I, I cannot add to that one. You, you rounded off that piece quite well. Um, so as you're having this conversation, now you're engaged, you've gone past the two seconds, you've gone past the two seconds. Yeah. You're having a conversation. Um, what are you trying to ask them? You know, what sort of type, what type of questions are you asking them to keep them engaged so you can find out more, more, more things about the, themselves and the organization? How do you steer the conversation? Yeah. So, um, for me, it's, it's all about steering it away from, from being a sales conversation. Um, so a digital platform, you know, the going rate for these can be, you know, hundreds of thousands in license fees, um, a year, if you're, um, a certain sized company, mm -hmm. um, you know, smaller companies, it might be less bigger companies. It's, it's, it might be more, but, but at least tens of thousands a year. And, and as a result, you're not going to sell a platform over the phone to someone. Um, it's not a pen. They're not going to, you know, you can't, you can't start listing off all the, uh, yeah. all the great ways that, that, that <laughs> pen's going to enrich their life and, and, and put, you know, you know, pay the nine pound 99 for it right here, right now. Oh, okay. 
um, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, so for me, especially being at the start of that sales process, the best way we can succeed is by determining as much information as we can as early as possible. And it's a great way of, of getting the person talking and, and building that relationship like that I was talking about. Sure. It's what, what are the challenges that you as an organization face and what are the challenges that you as a person in your day-to-day job faces and, and how can we marry those requirements up with, with what the platform has to offer and therefore create a, a fully fledged business case moving forwards like this. Okay. You've, you've told me X, Y, and Z, and now this is, this is what the, you know, take the service now platform. Cause that's what cross you sells, but this is what, this is how the service now, this is what, what your company looks like with the service now platform in it. This is how you're going to draw value every single day from having this platform. And that's, and that's the, that's the, you're not, you're not selling them a platform. You're selling them a digital transformation. You're selling them, um, that, that day-to-day efficiency and productivity gain, um, that, that brings them value. Brilliant. Brilliant. Because in that conversation piece, you listed three questions. And with sales, this, the stereotypical view of a salesperson is they'll tell you what you want. Like, you don't want mm. that Ford Cortina. You want this Cortina with the dice in the mirror and leather seats, etc. Yeah. yeah. People don't do nowadays what they're told. You can see it globally yeah. on a humanistic level. You can see what's going on on this planet. People are protesting. People are saying, actually, that doesn't work for me. I want this. So people yeah. who are more empowered, yeah, they want you to be a good listener. Yeah, they want the ability to talk through some of the challenges. As you said, the first thing you said is, what, what are your challenges? So you're giving yeah. them the pedestal. You're giving the, the potential customer that platform to express how they're feeling. And um, in, in psychological terms, we have what we call Socratic questioning, whereby you lead somebody through open questions to reach a conclusion that they eventually need your product. That's Socratic yeah. questioning. Yeah, and that's what you're, you're talking about, asking those leading questions that will take them on the journey them to see for themselves how your solution will resolve a problem challenge and need that they're feeling that they're experiencing okay or reach a level of 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 proficiency or sales growth that they want that's what that's what you're providing that opportunity and it comes through questioning hanging in there asking more questions not telling 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 you know as a child i rarely did what i was told (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, most children, most most people, most human beings are that way inclined. We we do more based on what we see than what we are told. So, to, if you have these old school type salespeople who are telling the customer, "You need this, you need this," I don't think it works in the twenty twenties and beyond. You know, people moved on from that way of viewing things. So, what advice would you give someone who's about to start this role? in, um, account development. Yeah. So, well, the first thing is, it's, it's one of our buzzwords from today is, is be patient. Um, that's something I've had to learn. It's, it's your, it's a baptism of 
of fire yeah. sales really when you first start it's you you're selling a product that you probably don't know much about and well at least in in pool sales um so software sales and and, and larger consultative selling mm-hmm. um like i do it um so I, I didn't know much about digital transformations i didn't know much about the service now platform itself and therefore it's it's terrifying as as i mentioned having a conversation with someone about that about something that you don't know much about um because because they might ask you a question you don't know the answer to and fundamentally based on the structure of the call you you know you've called them you've emailed them you want something from them and then you look very silly if you don't know or you feel like you look very silly when you don't know um what you're talking about so the first thing i would um i would say is be patient and, and build it step by step and and crucially if 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 you don't know the answer to a question just say it just say just, and that's that's about authenticity that i was talking about saying i'm sorry don't know the answer to that question but i will pass you on to someone and get you in touch with someone who does know and and the worst you can do is is try and fluff your way through <laughs> a question that you don't know the answer to because especially if if you're talking to someone who is an expert in that field they will see right through it yeah um yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know that, so it's it's just a, a massive factor and and they will most likely respect it and Another bonus on top of that is you now have an excuse to call that person back, email exactly. that person again, and you know, arrange another meeting. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm laughing and clapping for two reasons. One, I see it all the time in health, where we have um, technology companies that want to sell solutions in the health space. So typically they will send a sales rep to talk to clinicians. The one thing that clinicians hate is when somebody that's not a clinician tries to walk the walk of a clinician by talking through a clinical process it's, and don't know what they're talking about because theory and practice are two completely different things. <laughs> two completely yeah. different things. And it's far better to ask the question, how do you do this than to pretend you actually know? You know, yeah. it's far, far, far better. So yeah, that one really, really struck a chord. And also I'm clapping because I think you're starting to now move and shift to giving some very useful nuggets of information for anybody that's trying to get into this um, role. Typically, they're, if they are patient, they have the resilience, they have the, uh, the mindset to be very structured in what they do and everything else, right? How do they handle some of the most difficult um, objections that they could hear, such as, I'm not interested in your product. Yeah. What sort of advice, this is now the how-to section of this, this, this conversation. What sort of advice would you give them to get over the not interested, for example, as an email response to some sort of liter- um, so, so, some sort of messaging you put across? So... Um, the way I see it is, is rejection and an objection are, are two different things. So objection, um, so a, a negative point is, is something you can work around. That's your product is too expensive. Okay. We can work on that. 
Um, it's information. It's something you should note down. That's useful information. Um, rejection is when you just get thrown straight out, not interested, full stop. Now that's awful because you have no information. No information means it's almost impossible to come up with a, a valuable question off the back of that. And, and rejection is something that you want to avoid um, as a result. You know, it doesn't give you a basis to ask any more questions. It doesn't give you a basis to, to reach out to them again in the future. It's really, it's really struggle. So with me, um, recently, uh, what I've settled for, the least I've settled for now is finding out when would be an appropriate time to, to get back to them again in the future. Not interested. Fair enough. Like, I'm not going to ask you your reasons because if you're, if, if you, if you were willing to give me your reasons, you would have given me them in the first place. They're basically testing you to ask you to, to make sure to, 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 I don't know, bait you into asking that question. Mm. So it's okay, fine. I accept, I accept your, your stance. When would be a good time to get, when would, when would be a good time point to revisit this in the future? And more often than not, it gives away no, no corporate information, no personal information, nothing of that sort. They're, they're willing to give that information. And they know that you've just asked another question. So they're, they're you know, consciously aware of the fact that you know, they've, they've put a very hard, not interested stance up and you've still not gone away. Mm. So mm. again, they're likely to answer your question because at that point, they see that as the best way of getting rid of you. Um, and so that's, that's why, um, so I, I asked that by email, but the best, the best solution I've found is to just shift to, to more calling. So I've, I've ramped it up, um, over time. It's, it's a massive confidence game in that sense. Um, you can't go from no calls one day to suddenly 40 the next. You've got to build it up week by week, month by month, and just slowly, but surely get more comfortable with it. Um, and, and, build your confidence based on those positive experiences. But the difference between a call and an email is someone can very simply just send the two words, not interested back. Mm. But if they say not interested on the phone, you can ask them why. And, and again, just because it's, they, at that point, you've asked another question, they see the best way of getting rid of you at that point is to start answering your questions. Um, so my advice in that case is, is try and lean towards calling um, but, but set, you know, whatever it may be, settle for a small piece of information, make sure you come away with every engagement with something sure. that, that pushes you closer to your goal. Brilliant. That's excellent, excellent advice because it's a very difficult, um, thing to get that two word response, not interested is for me as a prof professional, it says something about you. If you're going to reply to somebody just not interested. You know, with yeah. that, you actually take your time. I know we get hundreds of emails daily from different companies, what I do anyway. But mm. to, to just respond back, not interested, it says something about the individual. And the, yeah. the beauty of LinkedIn, and this goes back to your earlier point, Ollie, in terms of the amount of research that you do before you even make a call. You yeah. might find the person that says not interested has changed jobs. <laughs> and if you were yeah. to have taken that, that view very negatively to heart, you yeah. might not be still researching those companies and seeing the movers and shakers. 
Because yeah. if you see that person was a blocker and now has moved to another company, you can now go back to, and you might find, oh, this person was at this other company before and they were more positive. I can, I can now rekindle relationships and have a conversation. All too often I see in the health space, digital health space companies, uh, representatives that do not remain buoyant, do not have that discipline, do not have that resilience, you know, and staying close to, um, a, a company is very, very important. And this goes again to your blog piece. You're giving back. So it's not just about sales, it's about relationships. And, and people relate to each other based upon shared values, beliefs, and all that. And your your blog piece is that. You, you put across your values, your principles, your goals within the sphere of digital time transformation. So people know you even though they might have mm. never met you. So I would just like to say to you, Oliver, because I'm very conscious of your time. Yeah, I'm very, very conscious of your time. And um, I just want to say thank you. And any more um, tips that you want to give across in terms of how can people, one, get access to your blog, okay? Yeah. Where can people get access to you? Uh, what sort of things have you got lined up for, for your future? You did talk about the role that you want in the future. Um, mm. yeah, the floor is yours. Floor is mine. Um, brilliant. Um, so yeah, um, I've created a website, so it's called, uh, iceberg.com. Um, that's where I will be, be posting, um, all of my blogs directly. Um, I've got six featured on there already. Um, within that website, I've got a, a subscribe function so you can subscribe. So you get an email alert for any future, um, articles that I post. Um, there's also a contact, um, contact us section at the bottom where you can write a small message to get in contact with me. Um, any feedback is, is, is positive feedback for me is, is, is any, and let me rephrase that. Any feedback is a positive (laughs) for me because, um, it helps me build for the future. Um, even if it's criticism, um, I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm used to criticism as we've talked about, um, and, and I want to push forward with it and, and create the best experience I can for my readers. So, um, that's, that's key for me. Um, I will also be, be posting, um, on my LinkedIn page. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn at Oliver Novak. So that's N O W A K. Um, and I will be posting any blogs on there as well. And of course, um, anyone is is more than welcome to to fire a message on there, um, and I'll, I'll be sure to get in touch um, if you know whatever it may be, um, you know, a, a good conversation, um, you know, a question about one of my articles, um, and anything is welcome. Brilliant. And uh, once again, I want to say on the behalf of the Mike Drop Club, we salute you, Oli. We'll be watching your career very closely. We look forward to hearing some more fantastic stuff. And anytime you have an honorary membership to the Mic Drop Club, so feel free to join <laughs> in any conversation pieces that we do. For somebody your age to get two Mic Drops, you've done very, very well. <laughs> so we wish you a fantastic week and a brilliant career. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out micdropclub.com and get the show notes and useful links. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life, make life boom.